I want to invite you to go into Genesis 35, verse 9 to 15. Genesis 35, 9 to 15. And uh, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about God encounters. What does it look like to have a God encounter? How do we, what are the different types of God encounters? How do we steward the God encounters? And what do God encounters do in our life? Well, in the life of uh, Jacob, we see that his whole life, his ministry, his work, his family was transformed by his encounters with God. And in Genesis 35 verse 9, the Bible says that God appeared to Jacob again. Everybody say again. When he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him and God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. That's been a theme tonight. I believe that the Lord is going to add to you land and churches and ministries. He's expanding the vineyard. And God went up from him in the place, verse 13, where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place we had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it. He poured oil on it. And so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, which means house of God. I don't know whether some of you know of a man by the name of William Branham, but he was a healing evangelist in the 20th century. And he's a prominent man of God uh, all around the world. And he was born in abject poverty in a log cabin. In fact, um, he lost his first wife and uh, child in the Ohio River flood. And such was the brokenness of his life that he began to seek God and cry out to God. In 1946, he had an angelic encounter uh, in, in a little shack in the middle of nowhere. And it so marked him that it left his left hand literally shaking. That every time that the anointing would come, his left hand would shake. And, uh, and, and it was a sign that the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said that whenever this comes upon you, I actually want you to lay hands on the sick because they will be healed. In the first year after this one encounter, 35,000 people got healed of sicknesses as he began to minister under the anointing. His word of knowledge accuracy was 100%. Many documents, many history books, the, the, the blue books of, uh, that have been written, there's a series of blue books written about William Branham's life and his encounters with God testify, news articles testify to the unprecedented accuracy of the words of knowledge in his life. In fact, there was one time where three journalists actually tried to, you know, um, deceive him and, and prove that this was all a rot and, and it wasn't real and it wasn't supernatural. That somehow he was deceiving people that were coming to these big healing rallies. And so, uh, these three journalists and reporters decided that they would fake sicknesses and illnesses. One of them faked blindness. The other faked deafness. And the other got into a wheelchair and confessed that they 
were lame in their legs. And so they all came up the front as what would happen in these healing rallies. And as the first reporter came up, uh, confessing blindness and acting blind, William Branham was discerning in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he's like, there's something not right. He said, bring the next person. He discerned the same thing with the next person. They wheeled the next person up. He looked at all three on the platform and he said, be it unto you according to your confession. And all three on the spot manifested that very thing they declared out of their mouth. It wasn't that God didn't love them. It wasn't that God didn't want to move and minister into their lives. In fact, God's grace is exceedingly good. But whenever we try, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That when you begin to actually accuse the work of the Spirit as being counterfeit or being a work of the enemy, in fact, the Bible calls that the unforgivable sin. And we've got to be so careful about what we point the finger at as being, oh, that's not of God, or, 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 or this is of God. We're, we're, the Bible says you shall know them by their fruit. And all of this that took place in William Branham's ministry was because of one God encounter. Unfortunately, as what history reveals to us in books like God's Generals, many of the revivalists and the great generals of the faith, in fact, did not finish well. And William Branham actually got off center. He stopped moving in the grace and the gift on his life and he wanted to become this global famous teacher and he began to teach weird doctrines that ultimately destroyed his ministry and destroyed his life. And in fact, in 1965, he was killed in a car accident, a head-on collision, and his wife was in the car and before he uh, died in that car accident, in his final moments, his wife had actually died and passed away because of the injuries. And his son arrived at the scene, came to his dad while his dad, William, was still alive. And William said, grab my hand, because he couldn't move his body, grab my hand and put it on my wife. And as the son moved the father's hand, William's hand onto his wife, his wife came back to life. And with that, William Branham died and they said when they, find, this is all historically documented, when they found William Branham uh, uh, in, in, uh, an hour later um, after he died, his head had swollen to twice the size as a literal picture of the pride that had swollen his, his ego and his spirit and he'd actually began to believe that he was Elijah that was to come before the return of the Lord. That's whacked up, man. And, and they're not only is in the heart of God tonight to teach you and equip you how to have your own God encounters, but also to empower you to steward the encounter so that you don't run out of oil and fuel for the call of God upon your life. And you don't have to just come to a, to a service with a guest ministry to have your God encounter, although that's powerful. And impart, I'm going to talk about impartation in a moment. At the, and then in the moment, we're going to go back into impartation and, and, and God uses anointed ministry gifts. But I want to tell you tonight that all year, you can have your own God encounters. 
You see, both history and the Bible is filled with ordinary people having extraordinary encounters that changed their lives. Now, God encounters tend to group into different categories in the Bible. The first is what we call visitation encounters. This is like Moses and the burning bush, where you don't dictate or control how God meets you, how, God, how you encounter God. But Moses, in the form of a burning bush, has an encounter and God's Spirit consumes the bush. It's on fire, but, it, but the, the bush is not actually being burnt up and the Spirit of God speaks to him. We see that in the Old Testament. Then there's angelic encounters where Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel and told that she would be with child, with the Messiah. Thirdly, there's warfare encounters. This is when Elisha and his servant was surrounded by the enemies of Israel and, and, and the servant came in and said, you know, we're in trouble. There are armies, literal, natural armies that are surrounding the town. They're here to destroy us and kill us. And, and Elisha said and prayed and said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant to see that there are more with us and there are those against us. And, he, and he's, the eyes of his spirit was opened to see the angelic hosts and the chariots of Israel and its horsemen surrounding that town. It's a warfare encounter. There's intercession encounters where Daniel prayed and fasted 21 days until the angel Michael visited him. And sometimes your greatest encounters get birthed out of your greatest perseverance and persistence where you just seek God. And some of you think God hasn't heard your prayer. He has, but maybe there's an intercession, a warfare, an encounter that's, that you're about to have in your life but you've got to keep persisting and praying and fasting and Jesus called us and gave us a parable that we would pray and persist until the breakthrough delay is not always denial delay actually is just to build that resilience and residue of persistence in your life that you contend for things in the spirit then there's prophetic encounters. This is where Joseph dreamed of influence over his brothers and parents. And God gives you prophetic dreams and visions. All of these things are encounters. And God wants to move in your life in a new way this year. God actually is inviting all of us tonight to actually ask for new encounters. And in Jacob's life, we don't have time to go through all of this story, but in Jacob's life, there was significant encounters that marked him. And one of the things that God encounters do, they impart blessing and favour to your life. The Bible says that God appeared to Jacob again, and there God blessed him. In other words, this is the second encounter that Jacob is having with God. You don't have to just have one encounter that changes your life. You can have an again encounter and an again encounter that changes your life over and over again. The Bible speaks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, not just once, but over and over again. But even when I talk about God encounters, I'm not just talking about being filled with the Spirit. I'm talking about a tangible, biblical encounter that transforms your life. I want to tell you that that, that what happened on Super Bowl Sunday at our church, August 28th, when I simply prayed a prayer, Lord, will you father me? I walked 10 meters, God stopped me and said, are you serious about that? I said, yes, sir. I want you to father me at a deeper level. And five minutes later, I had the single greatest God encounter of my life. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was six years of age. That was a glorious encounter. But I can't live off just one encounter that I had at six years 
of age. I need a new encounter with God. And on August 28th, I had that encounter. It not only impacted me, but it impacted the church. And we've seen over 400 recorded miracles and healings in the life of our church. We've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, crutches left at the altar. There is a blessing and a favour that's on my life, that's on our house because of one encounter with God. We're at Bonnie Bray House in Los Angeles where William Seymour got baptised in the Holy Spirit and the mighty greatest move of God in the last hundred years was birthed in 1906. I've been in that house through a series of events and I shared it this morning at Morayfield and we were there and I had such an encounter with God that I visibly shook and could not speak for an hour and I felt this weight of God's presence on my life. God encounters impart blessing to your life. This is what happened in the life of Jacob. So people do all sorts of things to become more successful. They go to seminars, they go to university, they, they, they read books, they, you know, they get up at 5 a.m., they, they, they exercise, they, they, they do all sorts of things and none of those things are bad. But I'm telling you, there's no blessing, there's no favour that can compare to a, the, the favour and blessing of God because of your encounter. Maybe you ought to stop reading all the self-help books and pick up your Bible and actually start to read the, the helper after all. One of the names for the Holy Spirit is the helper, the wonderful counsellor. And there's no such thing as self-help in the kingdom of God. So put your little book down and all the strategies and all the blueprint plan and pick up the Word of the Lord and get a revelation of what it is that God wants to do in your life. He is the helper. So God encounters in part blessing, favour upon your life. But as well as that, they transform your identity. What does God say to Jacob? No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel. There is something about a God encounter where you begin to get a more accurate picture of who you are. Many people wrestle with, False humility, poor identity. Many people live with shame and condemnation. Many people don't know of the Father's love in their heart. But when you have an encounter with God, not only do you have an encounter with His love where perfect love casts out all fear, but He begins to show you who you really are in Him, who He created you to be. All throughout the Bible, God renames people. And He often would rename people out of their encounter. Simon becomes Peter when he encounters Jesus. Jacob becomes Israel when he encounters God. Abram becomes Abraham, father of many nations, out of an encounter with God. Gideon had an encounter where God said, the Lord is with you in Judges 6, the Lord is with you, I mighty, oh, oh mighty, oh mighty man of valour. There was nothing courageous about Gideon. He's hiding in the wine press. He's beaten out wheat. 
He's using the wine press for something it was not designed for. And when you don't know who you are in God, when you don't know your identity in Christ, you start misusing your gifts and abilities and life in ways that God never intended. Because when you come into a revelation of who God is, He gives you a revelation of who you are and what He gifted you for and what He's called you to do. I spent years trying to be a professional athlete. I spent years trying to make it big in all sorts of things. And I struggled and I strived. And whilst I had some measure of human success, it paled in comparison to that God encounter where I saw Him and He spoke to me and He set me on the right course. And then I began to step into the call of God upon my life. And lives were changed and transformed and impacted because I came into an encounter, not just with God, but with my own identity. God encounters not only impart blessing, they encounter and transform your identity and they multiply your fruitfulness. What did God say to Jacob? He said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. He took him back to the original mandate. He said, kings shall come from you. Land shall be given to you. The offs- your offspring shall be blessed. In other words, God was saying, Out of this encounter, Jacob, you're going to have all the provision you need. The legacy that you long for is going to impact the generations to come. You're going to have influence and kings are going to come from your generational line and you are going to multiply and be fruitful. I'm bringing you back to the original mandate because when you have an encounter with God, He brings you back to what it was all about in the first place. So not only does God encounters impart blessing, not only do God encounters transform you, but they multiply your fruitfulness. I remember when uh, my wife and I was asked by the Lord to transition our church plant that we'd planted uh, six years before to hand it over. And I was in devotions one morning and and uh, at a a lake and the Spirit of God said to me, this is your last year at the church. I want you to hand it over and and I've called you to the body to be a voice to the body and there's another leadership assignment for you. And it was like immediately I knew it was God. I started to grieve in my spirit, went back to our um, room, dormitory room. I moved my wife and three kids into an old Bible college dormitory uh, 12 months prior to save money to buy a house and and it was really ordinary. It was really simple. We're, we were just two rooms, an adjoining shower and toilet, and no kitchen, no living room. I'm like, what am I doing as a husband and a father? And, and, and you know, we're trying to save money to buy a house. And, and I go back to the dormitory and I said, this is what the Lord has said. And my wife said, yeah, I know. He told me that 12 months ago. You're a bit slow on the uptake. I'm slow, but I'm worth waiting on. And... Uh, Because the Lord knew my wife takes a long time to process things. She needed to hear way before me. And so, because I hear something, there's some of you like this in the room. You hear something, it's like next day, let's go, right? That's me, right? Others of you, you need to take a long time to process things. And so God knows even in your marriage and even in your ministry team, who to speak to and what to speak to at the right time so that we can actually all go together where we need to go. And so God reveals His heart often to the prophets of what is to come 
in ministries and in people's lives because God knows what 2023 holds for you. God knows what He wants to do for you. And so I remember wrestling and grieving and and beginning the process of handing the church over. And the Lord said, I want you to go and I had no speaking engagements and he said, I want you to go and I want you to pray and fast for four weeks. And so I went Tuesday to Friday on this prayer sabbatical, my normal work days and hours at the church and nine to five, Tuesday to Friday for four weeks, I was released to go and seek God about the future. And I remember after praying and interceding and fasting, having this God encounter where from this ordinary orange carpet that was in this dormitory, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, said, from this very room, I'm going to open the world to you. From this very room, I'm going to take you around the world. And I found within three months, 21 invites came to me for for that initial season. And then I sought the Lord again. And the Lord said, go, put your hands on the calendar and prophesy over that calendar. And the Lord filled that calendar up in three months. And every year for six years, 47 weeks a year, I was traveling and on the road, all over the earth, preaching the gospel, prophesying the word of the Lord. And it all came about, not because of my great contacts and network, not because I was somehow more gifted than others, but simply because I was willing to wait on the Lord for a God encounter. Some of you are trying to be fruitful in your life and in your work and in your sport or your studies and you're trying so hard in your own strength. Zechariah knew it all the way back then, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can't do anything. So if we can't do anything apart from him, we better wait on him. We better remain in him. I had people in our church after the first few weeks of the revival saying, How on earth are we going to sustain this? I said, wrong question. Because as the song says, we never started it. So why do we have to worry about sustaining it? This is how you sustain a move of God. You remain in Him and God sustains the move of God. That's how it works, baby. You You didn't start it. You're not clever enough. I'm not clever enough to start this thing. You and I can't grow a church. How does a church grow? You can put on some lights, some bells, whistles, sirens, bring in some guest speakers. That doesn't grow a church. The real church doesn't grow like that. You may attract a crowd, but not necessarily make disciples. No, we go in the power of the Spirit, proclaiming the gospel, doing what Jesus said, open blind eyes, cast out devils, minister to to the poor and broken and marginalised, Share your faith. Go make disciples and Jesus builds his church. It's a supernatural work. And so God encounters will multiply the fruitfulness of your life, but also God encounters define your life permanently. And this is what happened in the life of Jacob. Jacob set up a pillar of stone. He poured oil on it. This place of permanence, he was marking a moment in his life. When you and I mark in our journals or or we do some sort of prophetic act or or we do something in obedience to what God asks us to do, what are we doing? We're setting up a pillar of stone. We're pouring oil on it and we're saying, my life is marked as of this day by the encounter that I've had with God and I'll never be 
the same. You see, every fresh revelation from God requires a fresh consecration to God. A lot of people get revelation. They get ideas from God. They get strategies, but they don't consecrate themselves. They don't set themselves apart for what God has just done in their life. Tonight, we've had an encounter with God. We've received healings. We've received breakthrough. We've received words. Awesome. How are you going to consecrate yourself? How are you going to set yourself apart? People come to me and say, you know, I've had all these prophecies. How do I get into the ministry? I'm like, well, what are you doing about the prophecies you've received? A lot of people, well, let's just put them on the shelf and let's wait and see what happens. No, every prophecy is conditional under the new covenant upon your obedient response to the word of the Lord that's been revealed to you. You test it, you weigh it, you evaluate it, you get good counsel and then you act. And you step out and you get on the track and you, you begin with what's in your hand. I remember when God, you know, I was running away from God to, to preach the gospel, went into the police force, had an encounter with God in the police academy, did a speech and the lecturer who was a heathen got filled with the Spirit of God and looked at me and said, what are you doing in the police force? You should be like, like in ministry or something. I'm like, no, I'm trying to run away from the call of God and the call of God is chasing me down. And when I finally answered the call of God, now I'm ready to come, Pastor Mark on staff. Now I'm ready. I'm ready. I've got you know, I'm a pastor's kid. I know how this thing works. And I went to my pastor and he looked at me with a smile and said, I think you should do an internship and go to Bible college. I rebuked that in Jesus' name. He goes, go home and ask God about it. And then the amazing thing happened. God agreed with the pastor. Funny that. God sometimes agrees with your leadership. In fact, a whole lot of times. Doesn't mean they're perfect or we're perfect or I'm perfect. But I went back and I started with what God said and what was in my hands. And look what God has done. I'm so glad that I answered the call of God. It has defined my life permanently when I responded to the encounter of the Lord. And tonight in this room and in this place, you've heard words about revival. You've heard of what God's intention is for you, your life, this church and this state. But let me tell you something. There can be no revival without a God encounter. You can't just wish it in. You can't just go home and grab your Bible, put it on your head and just hope all the Bible verses soak into your skull. You know what you've got to do? You've got to take your Bible and tomorrow morning, open it up and start to read it. Tomorrow night, open your Bible, put some worship music on. Get alone with God and spend time in prayer. Not out of duty, not out of religion, but out of delight because you love Him. You've fallen in love with Him. I don't do what I do out of duty or religious uh, activity. I do it because I actually genuinely love Jesus. He means everything to me. He can take it all. In fact, God has taken it all many times. In fact, the more He gives me, It means nothing because compared to him, he's everything. God's given us great opportunity, influence, even in our movement. And God's like, just lay it all on the altar, son. Often the things that you want, you get it. And then God says, now give it back, Abraham. Give Isaac back. What do you mean? I thought you prophesied it. Give it back. 
Abraham goes, okay, I'm going to lay that on the altar. God goes, good, I was testing your heart. You see, compared to him, everything else just pales in comparison. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me as we close tonight. So if there can be no revival without a God encounter, how do you posture yourself for a God encounter? The first thing I would encourage you to do is you pray until something happens. You get hungry. This morning, across all the locations, we preached on getting hungry for God. One of the prerequisites of revival is hunger. There's a blessing upon hunger and thirst. Some of you are like, yep, I was hungry during the week of prayer and fasting. That's my hunger for the year. What if God asks you to fast one day a week for the rest of the year? Would you do it in order to see revival come into your life? You pray until something happens. People are like, I prayed once and it didn't happen, so pray again. Some of the greatest healing ministries that the history books are filled with prayed for 10,000 people, 1,000 people before one recorded miracle. Aren't you glad that they didn't stop after 100 prayers? 100 failed, apparently failed prayers and there's no failed prayer. But they kept persisting. Aren't you glad Jesus just didn't give up in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, it's too hard, I'm sweating drops of blood, just too hard. I can't follow through with this. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't give up while his back was being whipped? Aren't you glad as they put crown of thorns on his head and got him to carry his own cross, he didn't say, no, I'm done, too hard, just kill me here. No, he said, I'll do whatever I got to do to seek and to save a world that is lost and far from me. I'm telling you, if Jesus can go to the cross and his spirit lives in you, you can pray until something happens. What else can you do? You can worship while you wait. When it's all gone pear-shaped and it's not working, you know the best thing you can do is offer up a sacrifice of praise and worship. Be intimate with Him and just say, God, I love you, I honour you, I worship you. I don't understand, but I don't need to because I trust in you with all my heart. I worship you. How do you posture yourself for an encounter? You steward what God has already given to you. If God's given you $5, $5,000 or $500,000, steward it. Because the only way to increase in the kingdom of God is to steward what you already have. If God's given you this ministry opportunity, you steward it. If God's given you that inspiration, that gift, that idea, steward it. How do you posture yourself for an encounter with God? You get under the spout where the glory comes out. It's an old Pentecostal phrase for impartation. The Bible says that Paul in Romans 1 said, For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. And just for a few moments, we're going to actually practice impartation. And I'm actually going to invite leaders right across the church, not just staff, but any key leaders in the life of the church to get ready to lay hands upon people all across here. In fact, you know what? Next Sunday, you're gonna, you need to come back because you're going to get an impartation of anointing. 
but you're going to get the impartation before the impartation tonight. And we're just going to take five minutes to do this, just real quick. I just want you to lift your hands right now all across this room. 